eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball with MLB insider John Heyman and former Major Leaguer Tony Gwynn Jr. All right, it's my pleasure to bring on to the Big Time Baseball podcast the super agent uh, Scott Boris. Uh, he had quite a winter, $1 billion plus in contracts, as I've read. Uh, fantastic winter. And it's been quite an eventful time uh, for Scott, even after that uh, eventful winter. So let's get started to, to grill uh, the experts, shall we say. And I'll ask the first question. Um, Scott, uh, how, how do you think baseball's doing so far? Uh, I know that you're quite interested in this. Uh, how is baseball doing in this COVID year? Um, I know that there was a an alteration made, an adjustment made, that you don't need two negatives now to return to the field. Uh, it seems like after about 10 days, uh, they're going to let uh, most guys return to the field. So they're making adjustments on the fly. Um, what's been the good and the bad so far of how MLB has handled the COVID? Well, overall, I think um, the base – scheduling other than the fact I think we should have had about a 110 game season uh, and the fact that we just needed a spring training that was actually longer than a normal spring training because of the fact that players were isolated for almost 70 days where it is unlike any other time in baseball because even in strikes or there's been interruptions in play players could work out normally and they could go to gyms, they could really have a pre-spring training workout routine. And in this pandemic, they weren't able to do that. And because of that, unfortunately, we've seen just a rash of pitching injuries because I just don't think that they were ready to perform. Um, I also don't think the hitters the first couple of weeks were were really uh, in any way timed up uh, to uh, play. But um, as far as the medical dynamic, I think the protocols were really conservative and and maybe appropriately so uh to start uh i'm happy to see that they're making adjustments and as they learn more about the virus and that we learn more about the science 
of the virus, about uh, its contagiousness and what time frames and how that applies. And the good news is I think we found both in Asia and here that baseball is a social distancing sport, that even though we had teams that were contagious at the very time that they were playing the opposing team, like in Philadelphia, and um, none of the players got it. So it was uh, – uh, we're learning more and more, and I think uh, operating within it, there's, there's uh, a brighter light than it was certainly when all this began. Scott, you're one of the most diligent people I've ever had a chance to meet. Uh, what are you telling your players? Because clearly we're seeing, you know, little slip ups from players across the league. And um, there seems to be a wide range of opinions in terms of how serious to take this disease. How, how What are you telling your, your clients? Well, what we did, Tony, was we... At the start of the process, I got a number of doctors on the phone. We had Zoom calls for all of our clients, and we really wanted to educate them about the virus, the risks, so that they could make an individual assessment about whether or not they were going to you know, uh, play and go forward um, during the season. And I think that was very helpful to them because they really got to ask and, answer, and had a lot of questions answered to where they could really examine the safety of, of, uh, of both the COVID uh, virus. Uh, the immunologist, I think, gave an understanding of the probability that if you did get it, uh, what the severity of that would mean to the age group and, and such. And so they, they really were able to put it in context as we're playing, I think players are much more comfortable because they're seeing an operative function that allows them to go out and execute the game in a fairly normal fashion. Um, obviously, there's restrictions, how you interact with your teammates, what you do, no fans in the ballpark. But as far as performance-wise, once the game gets going, um, you know, all of us who played baseball, we've always played, we, we've been in a number of situations where we're playing baseball without many fans. And, uh, um, and so that I think has been, while different, something they've adjusted to. And the, frankly, the competitive level and the performance of the game, I think players enjoy. Um, obviously there's great intensity because there is something to win. And there's also the fact that these, these uh, performances uh, have a great deal to do with their, um, you know, career objectives uh, in baseball. So um, um, I'm, I'm really pleased about the idea that going into 2021, we had players who have been able to perform and keep up their performance levels and their routines that can carry over to next year. And we do have a full season. So from that perspective, I think the players, are, are really pleased that they're playing. Scott, you mentioned you would have liked to have seen a 110-game season. Uh, obviously, we're not going to get to that at this point. They're still hoping for 60 for uh, almost all the teams, maybe 58 for St. Louis. They, MLB seems to want to start, uh, bound and determined to start the playoffs at the beginning of October. Uh, I wanted to ask you, do you think the, it's possible to delay the playoffs to get in those extra games and – um, I know you've been an advocate of the neutral site uh, uh, World Series, and uh, do you feel like that's the way we're going to go now? It seems like they are talking about 
one bubble or two bubbles or something like that to cut down on the travel because it would be uh, quite traumatic if we had any kind of an outbreak in the in the postseason. Well, I, uh, uh, I mean, in this process long ago, I, you know, two things: one, from a standard of of making sure that understanding viruses interactions and such to have a schedule that doesn't allow the extra 10 days because if we're going to have protocols that require isolation and protocols that demand uh, a play a reservation of play you're going to have players that need protocols that were not drafted that when there is reservation of play and there is a stoppage of play what do we do with the athletes and how do we train them when they're on the road and they can't go anywhere? So right. we could have had individual workouts. And, you know, the NBA is conducting a league in basically a ballroom. We could have had individual workouts and ballrooms and equipment so that these men's skill is not put at risk. And that uh, in what they do, uh, you know, the quick twitch, you go out and you haven't done anything for 10 days and all of a sudden you're back performing in the game. That is something professional athletes never done. And so all of these things, I think, are reasons why we need probably a October 10th playoff start so that we're not pushing these athletes and, and, their, and, and really what they're doing at a level that's going to exhaust them and it's going to put their uh, player safety, um, which in part is for the virus, but you have to have player safety for performance and training and nutrition as to what we're doing with our, with these skilled men, these rare major leaguers. And uh, I believe that from a competitive standpoint and other aspects that demanding that other, that clubs are operating in an environment that is competitively negative for their franchise because of the existence of the virus, while others do not, the, the virus has not impaired their schedule, that competitively uh, is something I don't think is appropriate. So, and add in the fact that the NBA playoffs are, are, uh, you know, ongoing to the 12th of October, I think for, for focus, betterment of the game, uh, TV rights, you know, fan attention, you know, we, we, uh, we should, really consider giving it that extra week, 10 days to allow player safety to be optimized and competition. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially when you consider the fact that once playoffs start, you know, the intensity, intensity raise, raises that much higher. Uh, Scott, I want to ask you a little bit about the, the, the private jets uh, that has been brought up here as of late. Um, exactly. How did that kind of come about and, do you think teams will get on board with this? Well, what I let is that we have researched and contracted with private jet companies that if players are transferred and need to be transferred with a relative immediacy in their family um, to be out of public airports, if you're going to continue the protocols that the teams now enjoy and apply that to a transfer, uh, the reality of it is it's going to have to be done with uh, either by a vehicle, they can get into a car and drive, or uh, they're going to have to have a, a, a protocol where very few people 
are around these players and around their families when this transfer takes place, rather than public transportation, airports and such, where you're going to have a better a better opportunity to carry out the protocols that are in place for each team. And so we um, foresaw that in the trading deadline that there may be a few of our clients that would be traded. So we set up um, the logistics with, you know, um, private jet um, entities that uh, were ownership understood that this is available to you. It's available within this time frame, and that these these jets would be available to transfer these athletes rather than them trading for a player and then trying to figure it out later. We wanted to make sure that we had that that thought in mind to protect our clients. Um, the free agent market is really your specialty, but you mentioned uh, the trade market, and as far as I can tell, in the shortened season, it's going to be hard to identify sellers. Right now, my understanding is. Um, we have two confirmed sellers, Seattle and Boston. I mean, I'm assuming Pittsburgh probably will join and a lot of maybes. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, are you expecting uh, this market to be uh, not quite what most of the markets are because of the shortened season and the uh, extra playoff teams and the hopes of, of many teams and also the uncertainty of the schedule? I mean, I think we're all hopeful that they'll play, but uh, there's certainly still some uncertainty. What, what are you expecting out of the trade market? And then I saw that, you, just to follow up on the private jet offer, uh, some other agents complained, and I don't know whether Trevor Bauer was complaining about that or something else, but he chimed in. Um, was there something about that that was controversial or uh, something that I didn't quite get? It seemed like you were trying to help there, although maybe you're not allowed to pay for them. I'm not sure. Well, again – maybe that was the misunderstanding on their part. Our point was we arranged the, the logistics so that private jets are available for clubs to purchase the trans, the jet to allow the player to transfer. Um, and so a lot of times when you, if a player were traded and the club would say, well, we don't have availability. We don't have availability of a jet to get the player to where he needs to go. And so what we did was made sure that there was availability of these planes so that if that subject came up and the necessity of it to carry out the protocol, we wanted to make sure that the logistics were in place so that um, every club knew that they could at least from our player's perspective, could transfer the player safely and within protocol to have them. Because remember, you're bringing a player from one team to another. And if you put him in peril with the general population and transfer him, and all of a sudden he comes there and he, along the way, catches something with the new team, you can the, the, the benefit of that player becomes a, a, a dramatic detriment and the causation issue of that is, something you really want to look at to make sure that that uh, the normal uh, safety protocols are applied and for both the player and for the team he's going to, that, that these protocols are very, very important and necessary. Scott, I have to ask the question, and I'm sure it's on a lot of people's mind, but 
Uh, Trevor Bauer has been going at you on social media for quite some time. And I guess my question is, how do you deal with this type of situation? Obviously, he's a player. Uh, you're in the business of representing players, even if it's not him. Um, how, how do you how do you deal with that? I, uh, you know, I don't, uh, uh, I represent the interest of the players that I work as an attorney for. Um, I don't pay much attention to, um, my job is to protect the rights and work for the players that I represent. Um, uh, knowing that in my history, we've done the first 50, 100 million, 200 million, 300 million dollar contract for starting pitchers. I, I would say that any pitcher in his right mind would be very, very happy about the work that we've done to benefit uh, players, particularly pitchers. Um, and from that standpoint, I'm um, there are players that choose to represent us and they're players that we choose not to represent. Um, and there are in the choice factors of these things, we let everyone's rights operate as they should. And uh, I don't get into it personally. All I know is that when we're talking about rights of players, privacy of players, um, all those issues, I just make sure that our clients are aware and that the, certainly the teams are aware that, you know, the course and scope of employment, what goes on in an employment environment, um, all those things are, and the rights of the players in that employment environment, uh, that those, those aspects are, are uh, given notice to the players. And anytime the players ask me to work on their behalf as their attorney to uh, protect and or enforce their rights. Uh, I'm certainly here to do that. Yeah, representing uh, Bauer might be difficult as uh, his big rival at uh, from the days at UCLA uh, remains Garrett Cole. <laughs> I don't know whether, what's going on there. What, what why they still aren't getting along too well. But you obviously uh, did well for Cole getting that first three hundred million dollar pitching uh, contract of, uh, for him at three hundred twenty four million with the Yankees and <clears throat> seeing as you're the expert on markets, um, do you, do you think that the first the, the trade market will be tough this year because of the uncertainties and then also the free agent market, Mookie Betts jumped in, uh, did well, got a contract for 365 million, uh, only 306 million. It's counted as by the uh, union, but obviously it's a lot of money. One of the best two or three players in the game. Um, is it wise to jump in quickly or, I mean, do you think teams are going to spend? I know that a lot of the teams have suggested they've lost a lot of money this year or losing money. In, in my opinion, I, th- I think some of them are losing money this year. I mean, I know last year only the Marlins did, but uh, I do think in this year, unusual year, that teams are losing money. So is it going to be a tough um, trade market and also a tough free agent market? Everybody in in the world is losing money in the pandemic. So um, uh, you can pick a business and pick a thing. They're they're a small percentage are doing better, but I would say the vast majority of 
any business operation, whether it be NBA, NFL, whatever, they're all going to be down a bit due to this process. However, that doesn't affect the future needs. And I think, you know, the, the, the idea of, of great leadership executives, quality teams are is that you're there to take advantage of situations that arise. And there's irregularities that are now operating in our game. Um, and there are clubs that may have an opportunity to win that never had an opportunity to win because who else says on August or 1st, I only have 60 games to play and I'm, in, and I'm tied for first. So um, that's a very unusual statement, but there are going to be teams that have played well for 45 or 50 games and, and they're going to be in the playoffs when they would not otherwise uh, be in a long-term season. So therefore, they may want to take advantage of it, make the trades, do what they need to do, knowing that next year they're not going to be a playoff caliber team. So there's that category. Um, so I think the trade market, there's a lot of, of clearly some very interesting uh, choices and models that can happen that can both affect the franchises both currently and in the future. As far as a free agent uh, aspect of this offseason, I think pitching with all the injuries that has occurred in, in this window, pitching may be of a commodity that was even at a higher value than it was prior to the pandemic. And the reason for it is just all the injuries that have arisen that affected the lack of talent that will not be available in 2021 because of the injuries that occurred in 2020. Um, so from that passport, I, I see a very viable market for pitching in the off season. And then obviously there's, we've learned over time that when you're signing big time players and, and rare players, that if, if there is an economic um, downturn for one year, or even two, the fact is you sign a player to a, you know, seven, 10, 12 year contract. Uh, you can make sure that you back. Well, I think in like Mookie Betts's contract there, I think he gets paid $17 million next year for, uh, which is a, you know, half of what he's making uh, near half what he's making now. So, you can you can do that and get a great player, and yet do so at at, at very uh, very low rates. So it's a, it's the kind of thing for me that that allows for uh, with great players, a contract structure allows for them to be fit in, even though in the initial years um, there may be uh, you know some more stringent budgetary policies by the club. Scott, how, how do you think numbers will be viewed in terms of negotiation from this 2020 season? You know, some team, some guys who will go into arbitration with this as their platform year. How, how do you think these numbers will be looked at? Well, that, that's going to be uh, a big issue because you've got a couple scenarios where with a third of the season that a player who's injured and has the performance of a third of a season, um, you would, a player who performed optimally to the level of the opportunity 
needs to be treated very differently than a player who is injured in a normal season, but yet their numbers may be similar. Um, so you have those scenarios. You've got a, uh, an issue where the player will be playing the full season in 2021, and that is where the compensation that you're paying them will be paid and applied for that performance. And the reality of it is the basis of that uh, should not be where the player only receives a portion because he's already taken the penalty of losing almost 60% of his salary in 2020. So he shouldn't suffer an additional penalty in 2021, particularly when he's playing the whole season and providing a full season of service. So that that's the central issue that needs to be resolved by the Players Association and and uh, Major League Baseball to determine how, particularly in an arbitration setting, um, how that's managed, Tony. Speaking of deals, uh, Scott, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the CBA. In a year from now, obviously MLB and the union were unable to come to an agreement this year, and uh, Commissioner Manfred mandated the season uh, eventually uh, at 60 games. Um, A lot of people or few people have accused you of being in the middle of the negotiations. Uh, So I wanted you to address that first of all, and then to uh, look at the potential of, of a, a new deal coming. I know some people have suggested that the players didn't get great deals the last couple times out. And um, if that's true, what needs to be rectified to, uh, to write that? Well, the, the one thing I think we saw that, that after the imposition of the season, um, the sides actually got together and and crafted out a, a postseason resolution, and uh, I think that was favorable to both. Um, it allowed for the right to be, you know, certainly a, a valuation to be put to that right, but it also illustrated that when there are when there are benefits that both sides can achieve from the CBA then, um, you know, they got something done. And I'm hopeful that going forward, we've been able to look at our system and understand that the reserve system is working out amazingly well for owners. When you can hold on to a player for six years, and which has turned out to be seven, mm-hmm. uh, because of the way they manipulate the service time rules, which is something that needs to be discussed in the CBA. And secondarily, you, you've got to... Uh, the bigger issue for me is is that our game is phenomenally successful. It's going to be a $15 billion industry very soon. Um, so we've got this big pizza, and that pizza keeps getting delivered annually. And we just got to figure out how to slice it up <laughs> and what we do. And I think one of the biggest problems we have in baseball is that you know every city has a district attorney and a mayor. And that the district attorney enforces the rules, legislates, uh, uh, you know, interprets the laws with through the judicial arm of it, and applies it to keep the laws of the city and in, 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 in the state in place. And the mayor, on the other hand, is working with business leaders, promoting business, doing things. I believe baseball needs a mayor, and it needs a district attorney. The current commissioner's office role primarily should be that of the district attorney. 
That's what labor attorneys can do. Uh, but on the other hand, I think the game needs a CEO. I think it needs a real person to unify the owners in a way where they are clearly understanding uh, the aspects of how to put a league together. There's always going to be places where one club is bought at five times the value of, of another club and in a major market. And the ownership there is going to want things to be a lot different than it is with the owners that are in the smaller markets. And we have to have unification of that. We have to have revenue definitions. We have to have current valuations that relate to the rights of the uh, RSNs and what those values are and what revenue should be shared, not shared. And I think it's going to take someone other than, quote, a district attorney it's going to take a mayor to put together uh, committees, understandings, and really make that job the full-time focus of, of someone who's going to be the czar of business operations of baseball. But I think once we establish that, if we did that, then we would have much greater um, agreement uh, as to the collective bargaining agreement because you have resolved the owner issues that often prevent uh, agreements to be made um, with the with the players in, in the CBA. So um, I'm sure that that message will be widely accepted by the current group. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just going to ask you that. Do you think MLB will uh, accept your uh, your suggestion of the altering their hierarchy? <laughs> well. I think my point is, it's when you look at it, is that as to who runs companies and 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 also who uh, is involved with enforcement and 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 rule creation and adaptation, and really that's to me the role of the commissioner's office because it's hard to do both. I'm just not. I think the mindset of of in operating a business is that it you it's. You, you can't, you can only expect the commissioner to do so much. And and the focus and the background of what these men do, we're all attorneys. We understand that there's probably a lot of NDAs out there that can do something very different and a lot better um, in, in the operation of how you get business to, to operate in a more cohesive manner. And spending a great deal of time with owners when you're not worried about all of the other factors that lead to competition and, and rules and performance and safety and play that all the other important things that the commissioner does. So uh, these are things for me where you, you really have to get this is an important factor in our game. I don't think enough attention is paid to it because it has to be someone's isolated specific job. And that is. Uh, really lead development, ownership, cohesiveness, um, the definition of, of revenues and what revenues are shared. Those are major, major subjects that I believe really resolve a lot of the issues that they have with labor and, and reaching a labor agreement. Well, you always have very fascinating ideas, and I'm sure Commissioner Manfred will uh, enjoy the fact that you're concerned about his uh, workload. Uh, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Scott. And uh, thank you so much for coming on uh, 
big time baseball. Uh, it's been a fascinating look uh, at all the various markets and all the ideas about uh, COVID. You certainly have given it a tremendous amount of thought, and we really appreciate uh, really appreciate that. And again, this has been big time baseball. Uh, it's a pleasure that you guys have all been listening. And uh, our Twitter uh, names are Tony Gwynn Jr. and John Heyman. Uh, not surprisingly, it's been a great week. And uh, thanks to Scott Boris for coming on Big Time Baseball. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.